I'm Lisa Mullins, and this is The World, a co-production of the BBC World Service, PRI, and WGBH in Boston. The U.S. State Department says the Syrian government may be preparing to carry out more massacres in opposition strongholds. Spokeswoman Victoria Newland says Syrian authorities appear intent on keeping United Nations monitors out of certain areas, among them the town of El Hafa near the country's Mediterranean coast. You are seeing Joint Special Envoy Kofi Annan making a direct appeal and trying to bring this potential massacre to light before it happens, asking member states to do the same, which is what we are doing here, based on the witness that monitors outside of the town who are trying to get in are giving to him. Newland also warned Syrian officials that they're going to be held accountable for any massacre that does occur. The violence in Syria has spilled over into neighboring countries. Over the weekend, at least seven Lebanese and Syrian citizens were kidnapped along the border between the two countries. The tit-for-tat abductions were reportedly fueled by tension over the Syrian uprising. The aid group Refugees International believes some 76,000 Syrians have fled into northern Lebanon. Ben Gilbert visited with some of them. Noor is a 20-year-old woman in a colorful headscarf who used to study education at a university in Homs. Now she's one of 5,000 Syrian refugees here in the northern Lebanese region of Wadi Khalid. She lives in a drafty concrete elementary school with her family and about 50 other people. She and most of the other refugees have been here for over a year because it's too dangerous to go back home. She says anyone who tries to go back dies or disappears. They killed my brother, she says. He came here from Syria to see our mother, and when he tried to go back, they killed him. He was shot. The regime also arrested two of my uncles, and they disappeared, and now we don't know anything about them, she says. Noor asked that her name be changed so that someday she might return to her hometown, a place called Tel Killa, just a few miles across the border from Lebanon. When the uprising began, many in Tel Killa joined it. Fighters and weapons flowed across the border. So it wasn't long before the Syrian army moved troops into the town and began shelling it. Most of the inhabitants fled. Another refugee named Sa'ar, who also didn't want to give his full name, says the Syrian military has now effectively sealed off the border. They planted a lot of landmines along the border, he says. A lot of people have had their legs blown off by the landmines, so now no one crosses, he says. Now, the only route out of Syria is through the one legal border crossing in the area. But Syrian soldiers and border guards demand bribes from anyone wanting to leave the Telkila area legally. A woman named Rakat had to pay. Rakat and other women pass the afternoon smoking a water pipe as their children play in the school hallways. She says she paid a $100 bribe to one of the Syrian army commanders in Telkila to let her and her family flee. He didn't do it out of the kindness of his heart, she said of the army commander. If it was up to the Syrian army's kindness, then they wouldn't let us out of the country. Syrian refugees and Lebanese who work with them in Wadi Khalid say they've heard the Syrian military can charge up to $1,000 or $2,000 to get out of the Tel Kila area and enter Lebanon across the legal border crossing. Not all of the refugees from Tel Kila fled to Wadi Khalid. Some, like Ali al-Kurdi, have found refuge along the main coastal highway north of Lebanon's second-largest city, Tripoli. He and his family are better off than most. They can afford a modest apartment with furniture. But they can't go back to Syria for fear of arrest, detention, army conscription, or death. 
Kurdi's oldest son is already detained in Syria. His other son can't return. Several of my friends were forced to enter the army, says Kurdi's 19-year-old son, Zaid. We haven't heard anything from them since they took them away. Zaid Kurdi says the Syrian government is intentionally conscripting young men from towns that have rebelled. He says he's heard stories of soldiers being forced to fire on their own friends and neighbors. You either have to defect or fire at the target you are told to fire at. If not, they'll shoot you in the back, he says. His father, Ali al-Kurdi, pulls a book off his shelf and then puts it on a coffee table next to another book. This is the Bible, this is the Quran. He says no one should fear the uprising except the current regime. He says Sunnis, Christians, and Alawites, members of an esoteric Shiite brand of Islam, will all prosper in a post-Assad Syria. President Bashar al-Assad is an Alawite, and his regime often paints supporters of the uprising, like Ali al-Kurdi, as al-Qaeda or Sunni Muslim extremists. We are a moral revolution. This is not a revolution of Sunni Muslims against Alawites. We love the Alawites, Ali al-Kurdi says. But it's looking harder and harder to contain sectarian hatred. After the recent massacres in Hula and near Homs, more Syrians in and outside the country say they are growing angry with the Alawite militias, the Shabiha, who are allegedly responsible for a list of atrocities. On Thursday, UN Special Envoy to Syria, Kofi Annan, warned of the possible consequences if the violence is not halted in Syria immediately. He said the country's future now consisted of brutal suppression, massacres, sectarian violence, and even all-out civil war. For The World, I'm Ben Gilbert in Beirut.